And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 278, aka Year 6, Week 28, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. Hello there. And since this is your regular call-in show, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So what is going on with you guys this week? Uh, Well, I wrecked my my scooter (laughs) going somewhere between 15 and 20 miles an hour and smacked my face on the ground, Uh, spit out some dirt when I got up. And yeah, so I don't recommend that. I recommend uh, instead of videotaping yourself on a scooter, put two hands on the steering wheel instead of one. Yeah, I I am moderately sympathetic, but when you, when it, you know it's a scooter and a a self inflicted wreck, mm-hmm. I just kind of want to laugh it off like anybody else who you know oh, of course. falls off this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm trying as hard as I can to laugh it off too, <laughs> but it probably hurts a little bit to laugh at this time. <laughs> yeah, so I've been uh, treating myself with kratom, uh, pain reliever. Um, yeah, so far so good. Which tastes nasty. Oh yeah, you've you've given me some for my pain in the past. Um, I'll be honest, wasn't that effective for me? Just tasted nasty and had a weird buzz to it. Yep. But that's not really what you wanted to talk about, right? There was no the there is ish- the issue at hand. The, the issue at hand is a uh, libertarian guy in Texas. I think it was Austin. Uh, was in a protest with his girlfriend, who is she? She's black quadriplegic. Is that? Yep. She is. Okay. So they were participating in the Black Lives Matter uh, protest, and I think they were crossing the road, and there was a a car that uh, came through the protesters. Um, I don't think he was running over anybody, but uh, anyway. And all of that is murky. All of that is murky, right? Like there's no, there's, there's, there's video from different angles that show certain things that lead you to believe certain things. Uh, but there's no, there's no like real firsthand video account of the entire event start to finish. Um, as far as I know, like if that's out there and it's come out, you know, since, since I've seen the latest, then fucking a let's, let's, you know, let's talk so about the, that. So the drama is, is this guy was carrying a loaded, uh, what, what kind of weapon was it? AK or it was an AK 47. AK-47. Okay. And he was bragging about how uh, people are, are too much pussies to stop him from uh, doing anything. And now it's it's legal for him to carry that in Austin, Texas. And, and But it's it's also legal for other people to carry guns in Austin, Texas. It was quite a damning interview that he gave prior to his killing. Right. Yeah. It's like, it was almost like karma. Um, so from the video that I saw that it wasn't... Uh, very clear, but if you look at frame by frame, it did show uh, when when the car went through the protesters, it did show a barrel of a gun pointing towards the the windshield. Um, and so, from my perspective, from what I have seen, and I'm not saying I know anything, but uh, the evidence I've seen makes it look like that he was pointing the gun uh, at at the driver who turned out to be a, an army sergeant. That's the latest I heard this morning. And the army sergeant had a, a handgun and uh, fired at, at uh, 
what what's his name? I don't even know his name. Uh, Garrett. Garrett. Okay. So Garrett. Garrett went down, and a lot of people, I think even uh, libertarian outlets, are kind of making a martyr out of him, saying that they're they're mourning his death. And I'm like, I'm I'm not sure exactly why. Is it because something he did in his past, or is it because of his actions? Uh, you know, pointing the gun or you know. Holding, let's just say he had the gun in his possession, and and uh, the the car stopped uh, before it ran him over. You know, I there's nothing Liber- heroic about what he did. Is my point. Libertarians are mourning him because he was a libertarian activist in Austin, um, and also active within the you know the grander libertarian activism scene. Okay, so something before that night is what they're mourning him for. I believe so. That's my, that would okay. be my interpretation. Like he was, he is a known libertarian activist, a known protester against these sort of things. Okay. Uh, this wasn't his first protest, right? He's he's been an uh, active protester in the from the news that I've been able to gather, uh, in as much time as everyone else has been able to gather news. Um, so yes, that's why you know uh, pre-show KS, you were saying like uh, you have friends because uh, I said my friends are split on this, and I go yeah because some of you know i have i have libertarian friends um some of whom online like knew the guy knew him personally um knew the kind of stand-up individual that he was in the community um and i have other friends that like look at the events as they took place and the the interview that uh, garrett gave prior to the protest or during the protest um and you know what you know after calling the people that you know the the, the people would d- didn't dare oppose him pussies um you know one of the ironic things that one of my friends posted was you know it was like the, a meme of the event it said fucked around found out right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and generally i lean that way right if if, if you you know granted it's your it's your god-given right it's your constitutional right it's your liberty right uh, to walk around armed with whatever firearms defense you need, you know, for whatever purposes you think you need it for. Um, but maybe you don't approach cars, right? If you're armed, because regardless of how you perceive yourself, if you're armed openly with an assault rifle, right? Or an, uh, an AK, whatever you want, however you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to use for uh, AK, um, you're going to be perceived as a threat. There's no way around that, especially if you run up to a car, especially if you run up. Go ahead. Could I ask a question of clarification? I really don't know the situation here, but here's this this guy who is pushing in a wheelchair, his girlfriend, a quadriplegic. Yep. And this car is breaking into the protest. In other words. uh, Well, the car is just driving down the road and there's people in it and he's trying to get through them. He's not. The car is not barreling through anybody. It's not hitting okay. anybody, but he's okay. just trying to get through. This is this is why it gets murky, because I hear what you're saying, MC, and just mm-hmm. since you haven't seen the video, Ken, uh, I will do my best to describe what I saw uh, as accurately as possible with no emotional bias. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the video that shows the car pull into the pull into the protest um, was a dash cam video from a car facing the protest. Now the protesters were walking towards the camera um in the street. Okay? So they it's not like they were on the sidewalk, it's not like they were in the pedestrian zone. 
they were on the street marching as far as their protest goes. Um, the car appears from the right of the camera. Um, the, ca- the, the, the camera inside the, the vehicle that's videotaping the scene, you can see that that car has the green light and has the right of way to go straight through the intersection toward the protesters marching down. Okay. Presumably that means the car coming from the right, uh, does not have the right of way. He would have had the red light. So he was making a right on red, um, and was presumably stopped at that light, um, because there were protesters marching through the intersection prior to him making the turn. So the claim that he was just going about his business and was just turning down the road, that I hear it. I don't think you're right on red. He was make, he could have been making a right on red, but he had to have seen the protesters coming. It's not like he didn't see the mass amount of people crossing the street in front yeah, of him. Yeah, so so it's a guy driving down the road. He's he's a little bit disgruntled because there's people in his way, and he's and he's trying to push his way through uh, protesters, right? Yeah, that's a better description than just a guy driving down the street trying to make a turn. Yes, and I, I'm assuming he's just trying to get somewhere, and he's just and there's just people in the way. Okay, but he didn't he didn't run anybody over, as far as I know. Well, because as soon as he made the turn, he, he he was immediately in the middle of the crowd of protesters. Right. Whether or not they had to scramble to not get hit, whether or not right. he nudged one out of the ways, not seen on camera. Right. Uh, but it was enough of an aggressive maneuver to cause the protesters to approach his vehicle. Uh, yeah, but that's what they scare. want. That's what they, who wants. They, the, the, the protesters, they always want conflict. And that's why they get in front of cars. Okay. And I agree with that in general, but from the driver perspective, right? Conflict could have been avoided by oh, not sure. making that turn. Sure. Right. No, he, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, that there was not, not a better solution that, that the driver could have come up with. He was inviting conflict by making they, that turn into the protesters. Sure. Now, the latest I heard, uh, the, the article that I read earlier today uh, regarding the incident, like uh, I mentioned, KS, he's an army sergeant. Um, he said he was, you know, um, a, a, a ride sharing. He was working for a ride sharing service and was, you know, just driving around the area looking for and waiting for clients, something to that effect. Um, it's Texas. He's in the military. He's licensed to carry. Um, and so he was armed. So the, the people supporting Garrett, right, look at the incident and they go like, he knew the protesters were there. He made an aggressive uh, turn into the protesters. He could have run somebody over. Um, and yeah, and that's where, that's why there's, there's multiple sides. People are seeing the event from different, they're seeing the same event from different perspectives and drawing different conclusions. Did I do a good job kind of describing, are, are you able to visualize that in your mind's eye, KS? Yeah, or is there yeah still? actually, uh, I mean, from from that description of things, I'd say that uh, he was being, I mean, it sounds like he was being aggressive. And then this 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 guy who's in the protest with his girlfriend, who's quadriplegic, I mean, I, I can see being protective of someone. He's on a wheelchair and she's already, you know, an incapacitated person. If you feel like there's a and there have been other instances around i mean i think protesters are aware of the fact that in other protests in the last couple years there have been cars that just barreled into 
people, that's probably why he's carrying a gun in the first place, because they're anticipating uh, some hostility in Texas. And cars have been attacked in protests as well, right? Like when the protesters approach your car, it could be a fear for my life situation. Exactly. And so I'm against the whole uh, protesting gives you the right to stop people in their tracks, in in their cars. I, I think the best case scenario if if a protester sees somebody you know aggressively making a, a right turn uh, into into a, you know a crowd of protesters the best thing the protesters can do is get out of the way well as i understand the traffic laws though if you're making a right turn on red you can only do so when everything is clear clearly you can't take a right turn on the lead if there's somebody in the crosswalk sure the right crosswalk is is uh, the pedestrian's safe passageway, especially on a red light, you know. So, yes. Uh, but the uh, pedestrians weren't only in the crosswalk. That's part of it. They were, yeah, they they were, were in the drive street. They were in the, the car lanes coming the other direction. Like they were in the wrong lane, walking the wrong way where cars are ought to be. <laughs> Best way I can phrase it. They were jaywalking. They deserve to get run over. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> No, not really. No, but <laughs> but the thing is, if if you uh, if you are not in a car, uh, you're much more vulnerable than somebody in a car, even if you have an AK forty seven. Which, in the grand scheme of things, why I think the whole pedestrian has the right of way leads to more pedestrian harm, right? Because people will step off into the crosswalk thinking, and, "I have got the right of way." There's no way people, that three thousand pound death machine will hit me. I have people, the right of way. And people will go onto a highway where people are driving 90 miles an hour and, and start to protest and then get squashed. You know, it happens. <laughs> I, I feel zero sympathy for that, man. <laughs> well, it's yeah, a human saying, popsicle though. versus a 3,000-pound death machine. What do you want? Yeah. So anyway, in, in the context of this one, uh, the car did turn into a, a street where there was protesters on it. And the response was to put bodies in the way and until the car stopped and the car did stop and then the barrel of the rifle was the from the video i saw was pointed at at the windshield and then uh somebody you know fired i think it was the driver so that's a um, video that i want to see because all the video that i saw it was again murky at best where right. you could you could see the rifle uh, but the video wasn't clear and the eyewitness accounts uh said that he never shouldered the rifle like he had it, he was holding it, mm, but he never raised it uh, in a I'm threatening not, way to fire. I'm not sure if he shouldered it, but the video I saw had, a, you could see the barrel was definitely not pointed down. It was pointed towards the window. Okay, fair. So, um, but it, it wasn't a clear video. You had to go frame by frame to see it. Um, so that, that's, that's what I saw, but. You know, okay. Whatever you know, could be. it's so it's so murky. I'm not even going to argue with you. If that's yeah. what you saw, that's what you saw. Um, and I just I I did not see that. Uh, we may have I've I've watched a handful of different videos. I didn't see that one. I definitely didn't do a frame by frame. Um, so yeah, again, there, there's there that's that's your account. That's what the driver said happened. Um, and it's disputed right. by other and video and other eyewitnesses. That's, that's that's what the driver said and uh. You know, would, would would somebody would it be reasonable for somebody to open fire on somebody if if they just had a gun, you know, on their shoulder? Like, I think he was 
he was probably getting ready to fire in case because he probably saw the guy with the gun first right and he was probably readying himself in case somebody pointed a gun at him and then he <laughs> from my perspective he probably did it might Understood. not have been on his shoulder he might have just picked it up like hey you know i'll shoot you if you try to run me over type uh you know presentation of the weapon uh but he probably didn't expect the guy to have a gun so right especially after the video calling everyone pussies Right. right, like I'm, I'm the big dog here. I got the AK. It's my right. No one's, no one's man enough to do anything about that, uh, yeah. and, until someone was. All right. I see some reports that there were five gunshots. That there were three rifle mm-hmm. shots and then two uh, pistol shots. That is also in dispute. Um, the the general report is that there were um, at least six shots, uh, as many as eight shots. Uh, none of them were rifle shots. The The reports of rifle shots are people who claim to have heard Garrett fire his weapon, uh, oh. but his but weapon he... was never fired. Oh, okay. So the first three shots was the driver shooting Garrett. And then as the driver drove off, another protester fired at the car. Uh, oh, three to five shots. He drove off afterwards. He right. just. He drove off, but also he drove off also because he was taking fire. Right. Right. Like he fired three shots and then uh, re- received fire and then drove off. And then once he maintained, once his account is once he made it to a safe area, he immediately called 911 to make the report. Um, and I think that's as good as corroborated by the police department uh, because they took him in for questioning and then released him. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So there's, there's a lot going on um, and a lot to unpack, I guess. Uh, so what, any more, any more questions regarding the actual incident chaos? I mean, or, or whatever your, whatever quick background reading you're doing. My my only thing is that I I wish that, uh, there was an appropriate, like lesson to be learned from this and, and from the libertarian party, they should say, you know, if you have, uh, you know, a, a weapon, and you know, you should probably cross at the crosswalk. You know, yeah, or not or be just, the first person to approach the car. Or, right. um, I don't know. But but my other point is, uh, live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, also a good point. Which is, <laughs> which is why I get it. He was a libertarian. Sucks when one of them goes down. Um, but at the same time. You, you, you kind of, he kind of made his own bed, I think. Right. Yeah. You I go there armed, you talk some shit, uh, you approach the car gun in hand, right? It's not like he had the, the rifle slung and hands up, you know, I'm, I come in peace, you know, would have been totally different. Well, all right. <clears throat> Look at this, um, a little bit differently. Um, please. Uh, I'm guessing that people go to these events armed because they are expecting um, violence from other people, you know. Here well, in Texas, he made it clear that he, he didn't think anybody was man enough to do anything about it. So he he was doing that just as a a show of force, basically. Yeah, we'll have to get we have to get uh, KS that interview video after the show yeah. or something, <laughs> so you can so you can watch watch what his last words were, his last public words were. He he definitely was not expecting to be shot, and. And that's the moral of the story is, <laughs> I think it's clear. It's like, 
He, what he had final words that were being broadcast or something. No, he did. Yeah. A, he did an interview prior to the incident. Oh, um, and the interview is very damning on his reputation. Oh, um, because in the interview, you know, they said like, "What kind of gun are you carrying?" He's like, "I got my AK-47 right here." It's like all you know, with the face mask on and everything, you, you know. And he's you know talking about how uh, it was. It, it's Texas. It's his right as an American to carry. Um, he supports the protest and all these, you know, counter protesters, people who don't think it's their right or just a whole bunch of pussies that would never have the balls to do anything to him about it because he's the big man with the big gun. So, yeah, so he, around, for, found from out. his from his perspective, the gun made him uh, tougher and invincible in some way. And, mm. and, I th- and I think even if I had a gun, I would not be standing in front of a car. no. not at all he might run you over just for pointing it at him you know (laughs) right like i i I was uh i had a a brief conversation with a friend on messenger earlier today about a completely separate incident um where she made the claim that you know um her husband had recently like i don't remember if it was had gotten into a fist fight or almost gotten into a fist fight um because somebody else was talking shit, right? And I go, well, generally speaking, right? Like there are externalities and outliers, but generally speaking, the only people who get into fights are people that want to fight, right? Because if the dude's just talking shit, you can ignore it, right? And if it gets, if it comes, becomes a physical provocation, you can walk away, you can run away, right? You can leave the situation. And then there's that small percentage of time where, you know, you find yourself uh, in the middle of a fight before you were ready to fight, and then now you have to fight back, right? But there's there's usually a lot of run-up to that where the average person has the opportunity to exit the situation. Mm-hmm. So to get into a fight, yeah, you kind of wanted to fight, right? You show up at a protest armed, yeah, you're kind of looking for trouble, you know? Good or bad, right? You're You're there, you know? And maybe that's what you want. And if that's not what you want, maybe you shouldn't be there. Well, you could say the same thing about the guy who shot him, right? I mean, you show up at a, a protest with a gun and that big machine that you're driving. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be there. I mean, you could say the same thing about him. Agreed. Why, why, and why there are people that have say- to drive through that block at that time. It, maybe and- because he wanted to find somebody else with a gun that was threatening looking and shoot him. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm not even going to discount that as motive. Right. It's definitely the, the people that are mourning Garrett. Right. That's their claim. Look at this dude. He was out there armed in a car looking for trouble. That's why he drove straight into the protest, because he was looking to incite violence. So he would have someone to kill. Maybe. And then again, why give him a reason? Right. He's got the car. He's got the machine. If he s- drives toward you, get out of the way. Now, if he turns the car around and drives back and you've got an AK-47, I would not hesitate to fire at that point from a distance. (laughs) I'm not going to approach the car and have a conversation with that guy. He clearly has, you know, bad intentions on his mind. That's why you carry the gun. It's not to look mean and tough as you approach the vehicle to have a conversation. That's out the window. KS? Yeah, well, I think we've beaten that one (laughs) to death. It's Oh, no. Okay, they were both wrong. That's definitely a possibility, but one of them is dead. 
right? That's that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. Right. And if you you know the the, the lesson, I think you know MC was looking for a lesson. The lesson is if you're gonna if you're gonna be armed, like don't have it on display, right? And if you're gonna have it on display, be prepared to use it. Uh, and if you're not prepared to use it, don't be there, right? If, if you're gonna approach the car, uh, and and if you know you said he pointed it, I'll grant you that. If you're gonna point the gun, you got to be ready to fire it, right? I don't I don't want to hear like ah, no, the safety of the gun was still on, his finger wasn't even on the trigger, and he had no intention to fire. Then don't then don't then don't hold it, right? Sling it around your back, do something where it's very, very clear you have no intention on escalating to that point. Uh, but but if you're gripping the gun, barrel point, barrel up, barrel down, shouldered or not shouldered, um, you better you better be ready to fire. Especially if you take a few shots, you better you know there better be a reflex on you. Your training better dictate that you fire at least a few rounds back, which didn't happen. He hit the ground and someone else returned fire for him. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anything else then? Or you want to jump into headlines? Uh, headlines. Headlines. Uh, headline. It's time for cities to stop using cops as revenue collectors. Uh, headline. Assault on officer charges dropped for two men as video showed it was self-defense. Cop arrested instead. I like the sound of that one. Uh, headline. Political legitimacy dies in 2020. Uh, headline, what cancel culture has in common with medieval outlawry. Uh, headline, the case for replacing the bar exam with diploma privilege. Uh, headline, writer activist hit with licensing complaint for calling himself an engineer. Uh, headline, negative side effects of protecting renters from eviction. And finally, headline, bite dance caves to Trump agrees to sell 100% of TikTok to Microsoft. That one's very recent uh, as of this morning. Any place you guys want to start? All of them sound intriguing, but a lot of them sound mysterious to me. I don't, um, I mean, the headline doesn't tell me the issue uh, on most of those cases. So if you, would you, would you do a sentence or two more on each headline to say what the issue is in each case? Because I, I don't, some of them I don't recognize. Okay. Well, let's just do this one then. Um, so I don't have to go through all eight again. Uh, ByteDance caves to Trump agrees to sell 100% of TikTok to Microsoft. Uh, I'll read the article, but my underlying uh, understanding of the issue was Trump um, threatened to ban the app TikTok in the United States and basically coerced this Chinese company to sell the operations to an American company. As bizarre as that sounds. And so... Background information, uh, they, they claim that TikTok is spying on Americans, and so that's why they don't want it under the control of the Chinese. Right. Is that, is that good enough? Should I get into the article, or do you have... No, that, that's good. Okay. okay. Uh, into the article. President Trump's insistence that the White House will ban the social media app TikTok from the U.S. triggered a wave of hysteria among users of the app. Whatever will the American teens who built enormously valuable brands sharing dance videos on the app do now? They were just hanging out with the Kardashians. What are they supposed to do now? Uh, China's still largely state-controlled corporate sector has enough exposure to the vicissitudes of survival in the ultra-competitive, heavily scrutinized, antitrust-addled world of big tech that the leaders of ByteDance know that this type of pressure is simply untenable. For TikTok to survive, ByteDance would need to play the administration's game. 
Earlier this week, reports about a group of VCs bidding as much as $50 billion for the non-China business had emerged. Then Friday afternoon, Fox Business and then the New York Times and the gaggle of other media orgs confirmed that Microsoft was in talks to buy the social media platform. In the age of burgeoning antitrust sentiment, such a deal seemingly made little sense for Microsoft, but such a takeover would seemingly ameliorate the administration's national security concerns at the very least, which is probably why what came next triggered such an intense response. Late last night, and again, this article is from today, so this is actually last night, uh, Saturday, this today, Saturday, August 1st, when we hit the record button here. Late last night, President Trump told the White House press corps during an impromptu briefing aboard Air Force One that we're banning TikTok. As far as TikTok is concerned, we're banning them from the United States, Trump told the reporters, adding that he could use emergency economic powers or an executive order. Was it a glaring example of Trump trying to deliberately undermine Microsoft, perhaps in retaliation against Bill Gates for his support uh, for the WHO, WHO, and criticism of Trump? Many of the president's critics felt inclined to suspect such foul play. But as it turns out, it looks like the Trump's threats have had the desired effect. And ByteDance is now reportedly ready to let go of TikTok, passing 100% control to Microsoft in a deal that would see the app brought completely under the control of the American tech giant. Uh, quote from Reuters, uh, China's ByteDance has agreed to divest U.S. operations of TikTok completely in a bid to save a deal with the White House after President Donald Trump said on Friday that he had decided to ban the popular short video app. Two people familiar with the matter said on Saturday, ByteDance was previously seeking to help a, to, seeking to keep excuse me, a minority stake in the U.S. business of TikTok, which the White House had rejected. Under the new proposed deal, ByteDance would exit completely and Microsoft Core would take over TikTok in the United States, the sources said. Some ByteDance investors that are based in the United States, United States may be given the opportunity to take minority stakes in the business, the sources added. The White House did not respond to a request for comment on whether Trump would accept ByteDance's concession. ByteDance in Beijing did not respond to a request for comment. Under ByteDance's new proposal, Microsoft will be in charge of protecting all U.S. user data, the sources said. The plan allows for another U.S. company other than Microsoft to take over TikTok in the United States, the sources added. Microsoft did not respond to requests for comment. Uh, back out of the quote. In the end, it looks like Trump was simply using the bully pulpit to ensure America's national security priorities are respected by the market. Um so my brief just, uh, you know, description on, on the issue at hand and then what actually took place in the article. Uh, any thoughts, KS, on the Trump administration or the president of the United States forcing a sale uh, of, a, of, a, of a technology because they felt like it? I, I don't know all that much about TikTok. In fact, I, I don't know anything about TikTok. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it seems to me they're saying that a foreign company is going to be out of their control when operating in the United States. Now, isn't it true that a company operating in the United States would have to abide by the same kind of rules and regulations as any other company operating in the United States? Why are they so worried about uh, China? National security, KS. National security. You, you can't have the Chinese government on every American phone sending American data back to China's headquarters. Well, they, they don't allow... Uh, U.S. companies to do that. Why would a, a why would a Chinese company operating in the United States be able to do that? I mean, isn't it isn't it governed by the same 
in other words, uh, data that's collected on an app in a phone in the United States. I, I mean, you guys know more about the technical side than I do. Um, are, they, are they saying that, okay, um, Microsoft is not allowed to spy on American citizens either, right? Right. Uh, so why would they expect that TikTok is able to spy in a way that would be legal? Uh I think the expectation is that the it's it's not so much the legality, it's the ability, and with the ability to spy on people, um, and the ability for the the app the technology to send data back to the home office, which is in China, mm -hmm. uh, means that even if it's illegal, uh, the Chinese would still do it subversively as part of their spy program. Microsoft could send information to the chinese government too right they could absolutely could but they the 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 microsoft is not embedded in the chinese government as a chinese corporation would be right like uh, uh bite dance bite dance is that, am i getting that right bite dance uh a a chinese corporation right i mean in china chinese corporation right has a much more intertwined relationship with the chinese government it's similar to the uh, Huawei ban. Are you familiar with that one at all? The cell phone manufacturer. I've I've heard vaguely about it. Yeah, that they they are worried about the same kind of buying capability, right? Right. So the the idea is that Americans buy Huawei phones because they're cheap, economical, uh, great phones. Uh, but uh, in the software, the Chinese government has planted a back door that Chinese you know the Chinese government then steals all these American secrets. Um, right out of American phones, right? And, they, and the user is none the wiser, um, but it's a matter of national security because now China has all this data and information, right? Which which was never proven. Can't they um, just uh, pass, uh, I mean, can't they just enforce the regulation that no backdoors are allowed of any carrier, regardless of what the company is? They're kind of hard to detect. And they're doing the opposite. So they're hard to detect, but... Um, um, okay, does, does that mean that that it could exist and you wouldn't know any about it and there's no way you can prove that it, that it does exist? You would have to be highly technical to, to prove that it does exist. The user of the app would be none the wiser. Mm -hmm. But you said okay, like well, they, they wanted to pass a law that says there can be no back doors. They're trying to do the opposite, right? Another thing on the table as far as technology is concerned is a ban on using encryption. Um, on, on devices. And I think Australia passed that and they're, they're, they're trying to do something similarly in the United States um, because they want to put a backdoor in so that police and law enforcement can access it, uh, can access any data on any device, right? They, they want the ability to spy on citizens. The problem is if they authorize a backdoor, right, then it's, it's, it's a backdoor for anybody, right? <laughs> then mm -hmm. any spy agency who gains access to that software um, can then spy. So they're not even trying to help Americans lock down their own phones. They're doing the opposite. They want the back door. And TikTok is a mechanism for China to have a back door. Potentially. It's not even proven. How do customers feel about it? Do they care whether or not China... It seems like customers would be bothered by it if it's known that a Chinese company is very likely to be providing information abroad. Do customers care about that? Um, I want to say that the generally no, 
because the end the users of TikTok um, are the younger demographic. They're just looking at price and services. Not just price and service because it's a free app. They're just looking at the convenience of the app and the entertainment value that it provides them. Right. It's uh-huh. a the app itself is user produced short videos. Mm-hmm. Right. You take a video of yourself doing something dumb, and a bunch of people follow it, and you you get internet points and popularity. And maybe you can monetize it somewhere down the line. But the app gives you access to everything in the phone, then, right? All your passwords and everything. No, no, not really. But it it Possibly. does. It does give access to maybe listening in or seeing other people's you know videos, and eventually you could collect enough information to put things together, uh, or even use it as like blackmail. Like, let's say somebody records themselves doing something uh, naughty. Yeah. It, it recently or, I came suppose, to... Is it the kind of thing that can turn on even when you don't want it to? I mean, it's listening and watching everything you do throughout your day. Is this a kind of a, a spy capability? That's theoretically possible across just about all modern smartphones. Mm-hmm. Right, they're, they're gone are the days of hardware switches where you know the thing is off because there's no electronic uh, connection. Yeah, um, I would I would say the Apple phones are probably pretty secure. Like when you turn off the app, you can make it so where it doesn't run in the background, and so it's probably secure. Well, but, and this is where TikTok got in trouble recently because there was a line of code in the app that a new feature from Apple caught. Which was basically that anything that was uh, anything that was copied to the clipboard was saved in TikTok, right? Like TikTok right. saw that whether or not the app was running, whether or right. not you were copying and pasting in TikTok, just whatever happened to go on that clipboard, TikTok got the information. Right, and so like for example, where that's dangerous, like let's say you have a Bitcoin wallet and you copy and paste your Bitcoin key, uh, that goes in your clipboard, and then all of a sudden TikTok has your your Bitcoin wallet. Son of a bitch. How'd that happen? How did they get it? Oh, because there's a code in there that was spying on you. Well, and is this one of the things that you sign off uh, on every time? I mean, is it in the fine print of every everything you do that ultimately anybody wants to do anything with your cell phone? You bought it, and uh, when you open it up, you've agreed to give them everything. Um, it's not in the fine print on Apple devices Android is a little better about this. Uh, when you download an app on Android, um, a permission screen pops up and it says like, this app would like access to these device features, right? Your contact list, your phone numbers, your your SMS messages, the audio, so on and so forth, the microphone. Um, and in older Android, it was just yes or no. So if it was something in there that you didn't want them to have access to, you had to, you know, not use the entire app. Um, I believe more recent versions of Android, you can you can piecemeal and you can say like, yes, this app can have access to the microphone and the camera and the photos, but no, it cannot access my SMS messages or my phone. Um, and you can piecemeal it. Apple is a little bit more vague um, with warnings like that. Like there's nothing that pops up um, on on iOS that gives you that detail of a breakdown. And generally it's turned off until the app uses it. So like when I, I have an iPhone now, um, and when I use it, you know, so it'll say like, ah, do you want this app to have access to the microphone? You know, if I'm making voice calls or doing voice recording, yeah. Ah, do you want it to have access to your pictures? And if I'm trying to upload a picture, you know, I was, uh, I did an Amazon review the other day and I had to upload pictures of a product that I had and Amazon, the Amazon app 
previously did not have access to my photos, now theoretically it does. Whether it's just when I'm using it, uploading these pictures, or whether now Amazon has all the photos on my phone, I couldn't tell you. I don't know what this, I don't know how detailed um, that granting of permission gets. But everything on the phone, definitely not um, in some respect or another. But if there's a back door and there's some code in there that says they're doing it anyway, um, then, you know, who do you trust? And do you trust TikTok? Well, I'm out of my element. You guys are more adept at um, handling these issues than I am. I just well, let's stick with a bigger issue then. Should the president be able to ban technologies um, and and force a company, a Chinese company, to sell their sell their company to an American company to get around the ban? Like that's that's what I want to know. Like where did the president get this kind of power from, and how is how is that not the issue at hand? Like, why isn't the big companies talking about that aspect of it? Uh, yeah, good point. Except that everybody says, oh, national security supersedes everything. Does um, it? Would, I, I say I agree with you. It doesn't. Um, and also, it, it is problematic for all the American companies operating abroad because it gives justification to every other government of the world to say, well, American companies can't operate abroad. So it has... Uh, rebound repercussions for everything. Yeah. What if China just decided, you know what, uh, you're going to have this Coca-Cola, you're going to have to sell Coca-Cola to some Chinese company and we're going to take over all operations in China um, in retaliation for Trump. Right. What if, what well, if that's they, the they've thing? They've already done that with Google, Facebook, and YouTube. You know, those can't operate in China because they insist on access that uh, they're not going to give them. Well, but they do operate in China just on a limited scale. Like Google is in China, just you know, on a on a on a smaller scale, right? There's, well, there's yeah, the Chinese VPN, filters. I, I I always accessed my Google yeah. mail. <laughs> right, but even even real Google, you can, you can go to the Google the Chinese Google page and start searching the internet. You're not going to get a complete list of results depending on what you're searching for, uh, because there's certain things that China has banned. Like China has put prohibitions um, on the way that those technologies can be used within the borders, right? But they haven't told Google that they have to sell their operations to some Chinese company um, if they're going to if that if it's going to continue to be used there, right? Google is still Google. They have they're they're an American company with Chinese operations. They limit certain aspects of that operations when when doing business in China, um, but they haven't been forced to sell. Like if you're if you want to continue to be in China, you got to sell 100% of, of China Google to some to the Chinese state, right? That hasn't happened. But is that is that what's on the horizon? Is that the retaliation for Chinese national security? All of a sudden, thoughts? Well, let's move to the next one. All right. What else do we have here? Let me run through this myself again. Let's stick. Let's stick with Zero Hedge uh, because these are the most recent ones. And this is one that's um, going to be uh, uh, this one, uh, negative side effects of protecting renters from eviction. Um, because again, the, the most recent news out of Washington, D.C. is uh, Congress uh, went home and there's no extension of, of the uh, COVID relief program. So no more money. Everything's still locked down in a lot of places. Um, so on and so forth. And one of those protections was uh, the moratorium on evictions. 
right? And and what can what what are renters to do if they can't be evicted? Well, they don't they don't pay the rent. Um, but then what happens? So negative side effects of protecting renters from evictions. The federal CARES Act passed in March protects renters living in properties with government-backed mortgages from eviction until July 25th, which is passed. Uh, while the intent of lawmakers might be to protect what they consider the most vulnerable in our society, this sends a grave signal to landlords. Halting evictions cuts away the very fabric of contracts to lease properties and undermines the rights of owners. Ironically, in the end, this will most likely put more pressure on low-income tenants and result in higher rents. In the same way, rent controls have proven detrimental to controlling housing markets. Government efforts to protect renters from eviction may result in unintended consequences. What mm, seems big by, surprise there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, go figure. Uh, what seems by many a noble pursuit will cause many landlords to exit the business or take rental units offline. The government's actions of halting evictions could be seen as an extension of current policies that sidestep dealing with the problem that society is creating a growing number of irresponsible tenants. The ugly fact is that government housing cherry-picks the best of low-income renters, providing them with very low rents and nice apartments. The rest, they dump on the private sector. Now that the eviction moratorium has expired, the COVID pandemic predicts a wave of evictions is about to take place. The Urban Institute estimates estimates that with the expiration of the eviction moratorium, more than 12.3 million, or 28% of America's 43.8 million renters, are at risk of losing their homes. Landlords that have had enough have begun an unsavory part of their job filing eviction paperwork for tenants who haven't paid rent for 30 days, or in many cases, months. This, of course, comes just as some 25 million Americans are about to lose the generous weekly $600 federal unemployment checks. Unfortunately, the clowns in Washington are busy playing politics with this. In remarks outside of the White House on Wednesday, Trump and Treasury Secretary Munchen acknowledged that while the administration and Democrats remain far apart on any kind of deal, this resulted in them pushing for the extension of both programs. Trump emphasized that halting evictions and keeping people in their homes has become a priority. A big part of the problem is that letting people remain in the property without paying rent does not stop the bills a landlord must pay from coming due. This rapidly makes being a landlord a money-losing proposition. This all adds to the feeling everything is a bit off. It seems reality is starting to hit home as soaring rental costs collide with the fact overall disposable incomes have rapidly eroded for the middle class. The main driver of soaring rents seems to be following new building costs, in particular land, materials, and hard costs, mostly driven by labor, makes it hard to build new buildings at a reasonable cost. This has resulted in some investors moving away from new construction and into remodeling older units, which also raises the rents on current tenants even higher. Ultimately, higher costs for taxes, local fees, utilities, insurance, maintenance costs, general labor, and just about everything will be passed on to the renter. While the market has responded to rental housing needs for high-income households, there are alarming trends that suggest a growing inability or desire to supply housing that is affordable for middle and working-class renters. This becomes very noticeable when we look at the population with very low incomes. 
developers have displayed little interest in or they simply can't afford to add anything but luxury units. There's a huge unhealthy disparity in high-end rents versus low-end rents across the country, and with building costs being similar between constructing high-end versus low-income units, why would anyone want to deal with the low-end of the market and all the trash that comes with it when you consider that uh, bullet points here? Our government has been busy encouraging people who have no business owning a home to buy one regardless if they have any idea how to maintain it. The government policy is to generate a slew of programs geared to assist first-time home buyers and others with special incentives and aid. This often means anyone with any kind of credit or even getting all of their income from government programs often move out of apartments to buy a house. This creates higher turnover rates and leaves the apartment manager forced to lease the unit to someone with even less income or no credit. Uh, Bullet point two. Another part of our government's housing policy funds and determines what is built. The problem is a massive amount of money is flowing into apartments that most people cannot afford. Low interest rates, coupled with speculators using Wall Street money, are creatively financing these units out of thin air. From somebody that knows the industry, you can take it to the bank that it will not end well when these new units go online and are unable to meet income projections. A while back, an article in Business Insider warned U.S. apartment markets have become overdeveloped with supply outpacing demand, especially in the most expensive segment of the market, but that has not slowed building. Bullet point three, buildings and providing housing to low-income people often proves to be a thankless job that nobody wants. This is beginning to put a great deal of pressure on the system as private sector landlords that do not partner with government programs suffer the abuse. Simply put, government housing policy has failed to address the housing needs of the growing group of dysfunctional individuals that are the bane of society. Few honest people desire to put up with the endless crap such as position constantly dished, uh, constantly dishes out. Inventing market terms such as sub-luxury segment to describe basic housing only confuses the issue that needs to be addressed. The government holds huge responsibility for the rising rising share of our housing problems in low-income situations because its policies ignore the reality many tenants are simply irresponsible. The main reason for most evictions center around people not following the rules, damaging the apartment, or not paying the rent. By making anyone with an eviction on the record ineligible for most housing programs, the government shrewdly and cleverly has sidestepped having to deal with these people. Even with close to half, 47%, of all renters' households, 21 million, pay more than 30% of their income for housing, including 11 million households pay more than 50% of their income for housing. It is not enough when they are talking about low income and the amount of damage and grief they dump upon their landlords. The unintended consequences of government policy, which sidestep responsibility for America's dysfunctional poor over time, has added a great deal to our housing woes by driving up the cost of renting for everyone else. Uh, Many people do not realize that over the years, government in many areas and the country have put massive disincentives in place for those interested in renting housing. Those include competing with them on many levels. Private landlords are forced to pay taxes that go to subsidize government-backed competitors that reject the least desirable tenants that ask the private sector to provide them with shelter. This allows government-backed projects to provide a better product at a lower price, which often results in such projects being poorly run. By bending over backwards in an attempt to protect consumers, the government and courts are creating an army of irresponsible people who go through life exploiting the system. We have even gone to where tax money is being used to pay the legal fees of tenants wanting to fight the very landlords they have wronged. 
The government has even made it much harder to check the credit of someone wanting to rent, claiming it is to protect the potential tenant's privacy. This ignores the fact that renting an expensive piece of property and are putting themselves at great financial risk. Landlords claims are unusual are usually pursued, excuse me, and disputed in the small claims division of the courts where getting an eviction or judgment against a bad tenant has become increasingly time consuming and expensive. Adding to this ugly reality are limits that often allow only a fraction of a landlord's loss to be covered. These can be as low as $1,500. It is not difficult for unpaid rent and damages to greatly exceed this amount. It must be noted that getting a judgment in your favor does not mean it will ever be paid, and these people continue to move from place to place, causing havoc wherever they go. Stories that delve into what's happening in our communities are important. I consider them as microeconomic images of what is occurring in many places across America. A show on Netflix titled Renters looks into the misadventures of property managers and their troublesome renters in New Zealand. It reveals similar housing problems exist in many countries. My attitude may be skewed by living in one of the, if not the lowest rent areas in America. A Zero Hedge article stated the, that attractive rents uh, are a relative term as the monthly dues for a tiny studio apartment in New York City will still run you $2,681 or $64.92 per square foot. We're pretty sure that implies the average studio is, is roughly 495 square feet or about the size of the average living room in all those flyover states that elitist New Yorkers love to look down upon. The fact is, rents in my area are often as little as $650 per month for a two-bedroom bath, one-bath, 950-square-foot apartment. This is far less for essentially the same product. Uh, footnote, I may have understated how much regulation also adds to higher rent. In some states, the government is even debating putting the burden and responsibility for keeping occupied units clean upon the landlord. Also, it is not possible to evict someone during the Christmas holidays in my area for any reason. You can file, but no action will be taken until after the holidays are over. One way to address or level the playing field would be to move away from public housing and give those needing housing the aid rent-only vouchers that could be used with any landlord rather than putting these people in quasi-government-ran projects. Uh, end of the article. Well, so, Good, good point. And uh, remember, this is an election year. And all of this will play nicely into, um, I think, the socialist mentality, whether it comes from the Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, both of them signed on to this uh, uh, rent um, uh, situation. And uh, maybe they both won't. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of pressure to, to extend it. But clearly, if you're being told you don't have to pay the rent for a period of time, it's not only the guy at the margin that's not going to pay his rent. It's going to be everybody who says, well, yeah, I guess I don't need to either because I'm yeah. clear and free for the, for the several months. And then especially if you're getting behind. a government check of another 2,400 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, no surprises about unintended consequences of this. Now the socialist and the communist would, would bring up the point and I behoove me not to hear, um, we, we now live in a culture, a society, a country uh, where there are more vacant homes than there are homeless people. Um, thank you, capitalism. And that if you wanted to level that playing field for people having houses, just let them live in the ones that are currently unoccupied. Thoughts? Well, if, they're, if they're into letting people do things in Hawaii, for example, they should let people um, <clears throat> develop uh, trailer parks and mobile homes, which they don't allow here. That would make uh, <coughs> and let them uh, use the land that is 
zoned agricultural and conservation. I mean, if they simply got out of the way of those areas, the housing problem would be no issue at all here in Hawaii. And I'm guessing that that's similar all across the country. So instead of stealing property, I mean, the reason somebody might have uh, an investment home or a speculation home is because they're they're nervous about government's uh, inflation and they see it as a good hedge against inflation. And it's a kind of investment. Well, the socialist doesn't see that as an investment. They just see a further government controls. But They see an empty house and a homeless dude across the street with no place to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but stealing is not uh, the solution. You know that. Uh, obviously I know that. People will just... Uh, if they if they if their property is stolen from them, they'll go to another country where it isn't, or they'll go uh, to another state where it isn't, um, and that just means less availability. Or could you then, if they if they abandon it by moving out of country, uh, could you then homestead that property as a homeless person? Well, no, I don't. Well, you and I agree that doesn't uh, ownership doesn't end once you leave the country. Um, you know, my house, it was still my house, even though I was traveling outside the country and the amount of time that I'm abroad. I mean, and, and a lot of times <clears throat> uh, Chinese, for example, are buying as much as they can in the United States because uh, it's a hedge against the, the, the torrents of what government's going to steal from them back in China. I mean, people have their investments uh, across borders as, um, as a safety measure. If you steal it from them, they'll go somewhere else. Now, let's let's get into this briefly because we're we're running up against the end of the show. Prior to the the hitting the record button today, um, I mentioned the idea of Occupy Ghost Town. Um, so I, I get it that you know you can't you can't steal the property, um, but how long does it have to be like unabandoned, unattended, unaccounted for before yeah you can let's move in and see what happens. No, I think uh, it matters of of title. Is it is it still recognized to be owned by somebody? And is there title? Yeah. Can you identify that person? If they are the, still the owner, then they're the owner, and you have to deal with them. You negotiate with them. If the title is gone, obscured, uh, the, the person who owned it is, is dead and there was no heir, um, then I would say then you could homestead it because it belongs to no one. Does it ever lapse then? Because if you, I, I'm thinking of the situation where you said if you move out of country, right? And, you know, you move, you have a piece of uh, property, you move out of the country. Maybe you have the intention of keeping the property. Maybe you don't. But you know, I drive by. I go like, hey, that house looks abandoned. Um, I do some due diligence. I try to reach out to you, but hey, you're nowhere to be found because you left the country. Um, where's 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 that line drawn? How much due diligence do I need to do? No line because you say, well, you mean move out of the state? I went to California for a few days or out of the country to travel to Japan for a few days. Uh, Whether it's a few days or a few years, it doesn't matter. The amount of time, in my my opinion. I'm not saying a vacation. You said like you would, you know, the people are hedging against local governments by buying property uh, outside, outside of their country, presumably to move. So like, let's. In my example, it's not so much you going on vacation, but you moving to Mexico. Let's just say, right? You go like, no, have I had enough with the United States? Going to Mexico, leaving it all behind. What if I want to move to Mexico or Costa Rica for half the year and then come back to the U.S. for the other half of the year? I don't know. That's what Uh, I'm saying. Like how? Yeah, I mean, I'd say no. There is no time 
frame at all. It's a matter of ownership. When I own it, I, I decide how much time I want to spend there. Okay. And when I want to spend there, if I, and as long as I, title is clear, and that's what a government role has often been by just registering title, um, then there should be no no question about an expiration. Because the government all the time is saying, well, you, you own your property, but, well, you really only lease it from the government so long as you right. pay the property taxes. And then they steal it from you by condemnation or whatever they want. I'd say all of that's wrong. Uh, the government, uh, if you own the property, it's your property, um, Well, regardless of what rules they make up to, to uh, steal it from you. Going, going back to my ghost town example then, um, clearly ownership of those buildings can be traced back to some extent. Right. I mean, someone owned it at one point and then they just up and left and said, no, we don't want it anymore. They didn't sell it to anybody. The government may have assumed control over it for lack of taxes. Now, if you don't pay the property tax. A a lot of times people, I mean, I'd say that probably some of that ownership is obscured and gone because somebody um, moved away and never paid attention to the title in their property. And and there are maybe they passed away and their heirs never cared about it never took any interest in it and so on so there was no no connection that could be found i think a title uh company the whole purpose of of getting a title company and paying a title fee when you transfer ownership when you buy something is the company is supposed to do a thorough research to try and find out by all legitimate means who is the owner if there is no owner then it's up for grabs okay homesteading in in the okay so let's go back to the original i don't want to put to i'm not trying to like you know I'm just trying to get some questions answered. If we go back to the example of you spending, you know, six months out of the year in one home and the other, right? I contact the title company. I go like, this looks abandoned. They find you. They find your name. Um, mm-hmm. So they found the legitimate owner. Uh, for whatever reason, they reach out to you. No response, right? Because you're out of the country. Who knows what you're doing? Um, what happens? What li- Seriously, what happens in that case? Like if, 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 if the, if the person's the legitimate owner, right. But there's no death certificate. There's no, you know, where is he certificate? People just want to know, Hey, where'd this guy go? Cause we're interested in the land and he can't be found. I think if a good faith effort by that, I mean, a very diligent effort is made to try and find the owner and make contact with him. And there's no success with that. Then you go ahead and claim it uh, homestead unowned, but there is that risk and that's why you buy insurance. You buy title insurance Okay. every time you purchase something because there is that risk that something was oversaw, overseen and, and that original owner may come back and claim it from you. Yeah. Uh, in which case the insurance pays the damages. Okay. Fair enough. MC? Thank goodness for insurance. <laughs> See, seems to be the solution for a lot of problems. Yeah. And because the... <laughs> the chance of risk is evaluated by the insurance company. How, if it's extremely small chance, then they charge a fee that, that covers that, that the, the, the amount of risk that's involved. Fair. MC. Uh, no, thanks. Nope. Final thoughts. Anybody? Good show. All right. That'll do it for us. Thank Great. you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram, telegram, uh, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you may do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Thank you very much, Rich. This was good. Aloha.